Welcome to MDA Insights, the podcast where we bring you the latest in training and development trends straight from the experts at MDA Training. podcast continuing conversation with our special guest David Abeshidze, former CRO at Georgia's third largest bank by Total Assets. In today's episode we'll be delving deeper into the topic of developing top-level professional habits part two. Welcome to our 16th episode. Today we have an exciting opportunity to explore valuable tips for creating self-disciplined, autonomous, proactive and continuously committed professionals dedicated to self-development in their everyday activities. So take a moment to relax, get comfortable, and let's jump into this fascinating subject. David, it seems like what underpins a lot of what you're saying there is that two-way communication. You know, and obviously, and I know you picked up on it, and a common thing that we address with a lot of our clients and their managers is giving difficult feedback, that communication piece. What well, would yes. you say? What would you yeah. say around that? Because often it's it's not easy sometimes for a manager to give bad, uh, you know, to give challenging, have a challenging conversation, let alone the other way around. Yeah, and exactly. Add to that, can I just add to that a layer of culture as well, culture in the organization, but maybe the culture in the in the country as well prevents that kind of thing. Yeah, what? so generally the culture which sometimes prevents, so what underpins is actually the number one skill is self-discipline. That's yeah. actually foundational of everything. That's foundation of top-level professionalism in sports, in show business, in arts, and it should be in the corporate world too. And when you are self-disciplined, this is actually when you understand, okay, there is a risk that the deadline might not be protected. I need to notify my manager myself, right? That's actually this autonomy and proactiveness is built on self-discipline. That's actually communication. But you're absolutely right when you said that sometimes the managers do not receive, they, they do not know how to receive the bad news well. Absolutely. And they don't know how to react to the bad news well. And there are like, again, the, there is a separate work with the managers, but there is actually one good trick that every time there is a good news delivered to you, your instinct is to ask whose fault is it? Because this is actually our engraved historical archetype, right? So we are yeah. fascinated by the stories. Who is at fault? That's like a mythological archetype in our brain. But this is terrible because the person who brought you the problem, their priority is to fix the problem, not actually to execute the guilty person, you know? Like that's number one priority. So if you ask the first question, whose fault it is, you're going to be destined that people are not going to, to deliver bad news to you and you're not going to be informed. So rather, you have to work on yourself to ask the very first question instinctively, how do I help fixing that? That doesn't mean that you should never seek the person who is responsible and accountable, but that should be the second step. The first step should be also, okay, how do I help fixing them? How do I help fixing problems? Once you develop as a manager that habit and that style, you're going to see that all of a sudden the problems are coming to you much easier. You might be even overwhelmed, like, oh my God, I didn't know there were so many problems because people come to you all the time. So that's absolutely a two-way street. But generally, the reason why I do this foundational with the subordinates and not with the managers, because like I believe that organization can change 
from bottom up to right. Before you tell the manager, this is the way you should manage the teams, it's always very useful to tell her subordinates, like be disciplined, be proactive, like be autonomous, continuously work on self-development. And then you go to the manager and then you teach the managers, okay, now that we taught this team how to be top level, professional level, now we're gonna teach you how not to micromanage, how to receive the information in a proper way so that it doesn't create these barriers. But it's always definitely two-way street. Yeah. David, it sounds so obvious to anyone listening to it. Why do people find that difficult? Why do people find the message of, you know, it's self-discipline and that in turn feeds autonomy, proactivity and continuous learning? Why, why do people struggle with it? Why do we not see more of it? So generally, because self-discipline is the foundation for the autonomy. If you're disciplined, you can actually, the autonomy will be given to you. And when you're autonomous, then, then actually you're becoming actually proactive. That's actually one thing. And then you, when you are proactive with your mentality, you try to learn and continuously develop. Now, here is the deal. There are several reasons why people struggle because this is actually majority of the behavioral nudges in the organization they are trying to do with the motivation system. And motivation system is absolutely critical. It's just not the whole thing. Motivation system is probably 60 to 65%. And another 30 to 35% is culture. Now, there are no exact percentages known and there are different people who say, like this is how, the, how it actually influences, but culture is a big thing. And we do not have that many organizations who have this formulated in this type of way. This is the culture we have, like that you have to be self-disciplined, autonomous, proactive, manage your boss up. Like do not wait for your man and do not wait to be managed around. Managed, that's actually one of the things as a culture. Another thing is actually that we as organizations and also particularly HR people also can nudge more continuous self-development. And one of the tricks which has worked with my clients is the following, that usually the learning and development budget is too centralized and centrally planned, the learning and development trainings. And what you can do is allocate at least just a little part of that individually for people to, to actually make a decision themselves. Like it can be 150 pounds per year per individual. And that's already big, makes big impact because Different people have different needs in terms of development, so they can actually buy some online courses in communication or leadership or design thinking, whatever they want to do. So it's not that actually you are allocating the whole budget individually, but part of the budget. But there are two other benefits which are coming from it. People start learning skills which they do not need at the time, at the job. And you might think, like, why would we want them to, to learn those things? Well, you know, the skills are evolving. And if you look at the profession of finance and banking, right, in the 70s, mathematics and quantitative analysis penetrated because derivatives came to play, became a huge part of the financial profession. In the 80s, behavioral psychology came, right, after Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky wrote prospect theory. So psychology became like a huge part of the financial profession. And in the 2000s, like coding became a big part of the financial profession. Right now, if you're a finance guy and know how to code in Python, that's actually very, very big. So as Steve Jobs said, it's difficult to connect dots forward, but generally if you allow people to learn the skills, which even they do not need at their current job, that's actually super useful. And, and, and another reason, so my last year in London, I was in the innovation consulting company, specialized innovation consulting company, Founders Intelligence, which was later sold to Accenture. So what we discovered there is that a good chunk of the innovation and progressive steps from the, in the organizations 
come from the people who constantly learn the skills which they do not need for their current job at that moment. But these people then they cannot calm down. They say like, oh, I have acquired all this knowledge. I want to use it somewhere. Like maybe we can do it in a better way. Like we were doing this in this way. It was good. But look, I've learned that this is what actually the best practice looks like. We didn't know it. And they actually just want to implement those steps. So big part comes from the centrally planned innovation, true, but huge part, maybe like 30 to 40% from individual people who learn a lot of the stuff and then actually just like, they cannot come down, I want to use it. So allocating a small part to individual decision-making. And that's also very empowering when an organization tells you like, okay, we're gonna give you 200 pounds per year and you can only spend it on learning and development, but learn whatever you want. We trust that you will learn actually what's best for you. Of course, we're gonna have central plan trainings, but a small part of the budget give actually for individual decision-making. That, and that's a lovely little tip, you know, because often we like, you know, our podcast is primarily for HR professionals, you know, some little yeah. nice tips and tricks. And that's a nice little nugget you've just given there as to what a HR person could take away from this podcast. But I love the idea of learning for learning's sake if you are interested in learning, even if it isn't a yeah. task immediately in front. I think one of the challenges we see at the moment, because there is so much information on my, we almost learn as a utility, which is I've got a problem, let me learn about it, and then I fix yeah. it. And I don't grow, I don't develop wider as a human being with my own passions and interests because everything becomes quite functional. I think online learning doesn't help that either because the focus is all on the task in hand. But what you're advocating is actually partly through self-difficult. Let's just learn about stuff, yeah. whether it's relevant to your work or not, because that creates passion, that allows links. Yeah. And it creates and that culture, culture Paul, yeah. uh, doesn't it? The, 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 the culture is that kind of proactive learning. Because like you just said there, really, a lot of training that takes place in the, certainly in the large corporates is very reactive. Certain things happening, well, what can we put in place? But whereas what you're saying there, David, is bring it in as part of the culture. Everyone's just sort of in that sphere of just learning all the time. Absolutely. So again, if we, if we roll back the foundation and what you need to train is actually self-discipline. And when you're self-disciplined, you're given an autonomy. And yeah. when you are given an autonomy, then your mentality shifts and you become way more proactive. But when you become way more proactive, you want to learn and develop, even for the just learning and development side. And you learn so many things and yeah. you want to bring that in your industry. And there are a lot of a lot of examples when people have learned something in one industry and have bought it actually to their industry. You know, sometimes like the whole design thing is also built on this premise, like observe how other people are doing in different professions and maybe some useful stuff. And one of the most famous examples, it can be even be shocking. So in medical industry, approximately 30 years ago, they brought the pre-surgery checklists. So right now when they're doing the surgery, they have the checklist which has all the items which you can hypothetically and potentially need during the surgery. And they make sure this is everything in the room at arm's length. Now, it wasn't always there. And sometimes you would need something and people would ask where it is. And then the nurse had to run out of the surgery room and bring, and that would pose serious risk to the patient. And they brought this pre-surgery checklist from airline industry because the safety officers and pilots have this like checklist before the flight. And yeah. they're saying, and I know this actually story from doctors. I'm also a bit close to airline industry. I'm a skydiver. So that it's like pre-flight checklist like improved the performance of surgery dramatically because everything you can potentially need is now in the room 
and nobody needs to run and it's it's right there at arm's length. So, and there are a lot of examples like this that you learn something from other decisions, you bring it. You learn that you we we were been doing we've been doing something, but now this is actually what the best looks like. And then you want to implement and very, very good amount of progress is actually done by people like this. And and that sounds like you're an extension in some ways. You're thinking about perhaps your time as a risk officer, which is often we plan for a risk that should never happen. Yeah. But if it does, we yeah. are ready for it. And I think I think actually it's a really good, valuable lesson just to make, maintain that. Actually, if people are the best resource that organizations have, they want to be smart, bright, intelligent, interested people with something to offer other than the task in hand. Because actually insight often comes from outside of it. So in risk management, what you pay a lot of attention to is like unintended consequences and chain reactions and second and third order risks. And because of that, like behavioral psychology, like change risk management completely, because right now risk management do not only think that I'm going to do and this is what it causes, but I'm going to do this and this is what can cause. And then the second and third order effect with the chain reaction. And you can view this in a positive way too, right? So that this is actually what it causes that once people actually develop for the sake of development, you implement the constant learning and development culture in the organization. And then the magic happens, you know, even though I'm a finance guy over years, I realized that in the practice of good business management, there is always an element of belief and faith. So you create the learning culture in the organization and you have faith. And like in three to four years, it's really like magic. I have seen people done doing things which I never thought that like, oh, my God, how they actually developed. And when I gave feedback, they told me I also never thought I was capable of doing it. But this environment, you know, like I flourished in this. So it definitely goes both ways. Just like in chain reaction, risk can go in a bad way, in a good way when you are creating, then people learn so many things and then they bring it and they cannot calm down and they always want to actually progress their organization. This is actually a big part of organizations are being innovative and how they progress. David, we, we, we are out of time for this yeah. podcast, but any conversation that can start with high professional habits and end up with a leap of faith, going through self-discipline, autonomy, continuous learning in that same journey is clearly something that actually warrants further conversation. Be lovely if we could chat to you one more time. Definitely, definitely, gentlemen, we'll be glad. It's absolutely fascinating. And certainly we touched on there one of Paul's specialty subjects around risk management, because we do a lot of training in risk management in the insurance sector. And some of the scenarios that come out there it's just fascinating to listen to. It'd be great to get some of your take on uh, on maybe a, maybe a risk-flavoured uh, podcast in the future. Absolutely, David. Definitely, Jonathan. We'll be glad to do it again. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of MDA Insights. At MDA Training, we take a unique approach to training and development. We don't just focus on the theory we focus on real-world application of that theory. We work with our clients to understand their specific needs and design experiential training solutions to meet those needs. But it's not just about the training. We work with our clients to help them achieve measurable results and create real behavior change in the workplace. We hope you found this information valuable from our podcast today. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with more insights and expert advice. Thanks for listening.